Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. All right. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm delighted to introduce our speakers today. Uh, in the program, you can read that Noah Schultz is a special social innovator, a public speaker, and justice reform activist who's passionate about bringing service to underprivileged youth. He has personal connection and motivation to help drive change in current affairs of juvenile justice through coalition building, return reform talks, and mentorship of incarcerated youth leaders. And Stefan Fowler comes to us. He's a community healer. He works with Resolutions Northwest, a um, organization that deals, that promotes conflict resolution. So please speak to us. So I apologize that it was only my name on the, the handout today. Uh, Stefan thought he was going to be at a conference in New Orleans. So um, when that was canceled, I was excited to be like, well, you need to come out and talk with this amazing group because I know it's going to be good. And Stefan is somebody who, <clears throat> who our stories have become intertwined. Me and Stefan first met when we were 17 years old in a youth correctional facility. We were almost immediately friends and got along with each other at that time. We came from different family backgrounds. We came from different neighborhoods, but we were both sitting there facing some really serious charges for our age. One of the craziest things was that Stefan and I were actually sentenced on the same day to the same amount of time. We were both given seven and a half years for a mandatory minimum sentence. In Oregon, we have something that's called Measure 11, which allows juveniles to be sentenced as adults for um, their action as juveniles. So I was given seven and a half years for an assault one charge, and it really was um, nothing I could do about it. There was no way for me to prove that I was changed or that I you know, was doing things differently in my life. It was just, it was a flat amount of time that I had to deal with. And I always like to begin by saying ending up in that facility was not where the story began. And it is not where the story begins for a lot of our young people who are ending up in these, these facilities and are really hyped by the media as this crazy kid who's out of control. And you know, the actions are harmful and they do cause community harms that do need to be addressed. We are all about accountability 100%, but it's the ways in which they are handled. And uh, the fact was our stories and what helped motivate our actions to even put us in such um, a different way of thinking were a lot of, a lot of environmental factors. For me, it was my mom running away from an abusive relationship with my father. I had struggled quite a bit in school up until that point. Um, I had gotten into the gang life uh, around 13 years old. You wouldn't look at me right now and say that. I mean, but I, when I went in, I had a face tat and was kind of a wild young person. Um, but I ended up in this facility, and I came with 
a lot of different labels and a lot of different internal wounds that I had not yet had the opportunity to heal yet. And a lot of those internal wounds were a lot of the reasons why I acted out. School was something that made me feel stupid. I rejected school because I was kind of rejected by school for my high energy levels. I was one of the kids that they said had ADHD, ADD, impulse disorder. They were throwing it around for a little bit to see if I had bipolar or not. And it was just kind of a, a hard time for me to take these things on and try to, you know, in a, a moment when I'm really learning about myself and relying on the adults and the other people in my life to give me those labels and steer me in that direction on, on how I should feel. Um, so I started getting in trouble a lot as a young person and uh, ended up dropping out of school by the age of 16, ended up receiving this charge at 17 years old, and I found myself going through the prison system as a young person. I'm going to start with a poem that's a little more intense, and I'm going to end with something that's on that love vibe that I carry to this day, but this poem is called Cattle Walk. After the sound of the gavel, I was marched out in shackles. The deputy placed me in a group cell and called me in for a transport. I was placed into the back of a van with 12 grown men as they drove us out to our new placement. They brought us inside and fluorescent lights turned up too high filled my eyes as we marched down paper white hallways. These places reminded me of schools. I thought back to the classes where we watched videos of farmers herding masses of modern day cattle through the systems in place for them. And I wondered if they thought about their souls or whether or not they were just burgers and steaks to them. We marched in a similar fashion. They brought us to group rooms and told us to take off our socks and our shoes. In the farming process, this is where they would strip the sheep of their wool. Next thing I know, an old man walks in with a notepad and starts counting my tattoos, branding so the other cattle knew which gang I belonged to. Next came the search, and I'll spare you the details and fast forward to the part where I walked out with pants and a shirt, coupled with a violated sense of personal space and everything else packed into a pillowcase. I was scared but I knew which mask to wear that said I was okay. They brought my group through a series of buzzing doors and buzzing gates until we stepped into a place that sounded like 300 men screaming out cages. There were 300 men screaming out their cages. Every one of them had faces and stories and names and they all made it there for different mistakes but our lives were sitting on the same plate. From high schools to jail cells and farm, from farms to tables and high schools to jail cells, we were now feeding the beast of mass incarceration. So 17 years old, I start going through all these different systems and these facilities, and I finally make it to McLaren Youth Correctional Facility, which is the largest youth correctional facility in the state of Oregon. And I walk in, this is supposed to be a youth correctional facility, but we hold young people to the age of 25 in Oregon. So when I got there and Stefan got there, I feel like we've both seen that, you know, there's guys in their 20s walking around. We're still a little smaller. Well, Stefan was always big, but I was, I was a little skinnier and smaller. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> anyways, but, you know, there was a lot of guys there who had made some major decisions to change their lives and their trajectory and where they were going to go. And it was those guys who I began to hang around with. It was some of those guys that Stefan began to hang around with. And seeing people take their life from where it came and completely decide that it was going in a different direction. And they were doing this through education. They were doing this through internal research, healing their wounds and the things that they had never really had a chance to look at. And getting involved in some of the amazing programming that was happening there by the community, not by the facility, but by the community and the people. So the Hope Partnership, I got involved with the Hope Partnership, which is a nonprofit organization that operates within the confines of the youth correctional facility. This really was us reaping the, the rewards from a cohort of guys who had came before us, who decided that they wanted to do something more with school than just school and work. 
So they started getting curious and thinking about the other amazing things that we could do with our time and the kind of skills that we could develop. The reason I'm standing here and speaking to you guys the way that I am today is because they offered Toastmasters in one of these things. Like, it was just something that scared the hell out of me. And like, I got up there and when I gave my first speech, I spoke for probably 45 seconds at the fastest pace that you'd ever think of and everyone's kind of clapped back to my seat. And I was just like, man, I wanna do that better next time. And I just kept going. But I began involving myself with a lot of these different groups from native beating to public speaking to restorative justice nonviolent communication, a lot of things that really started changing the framework in my mind of how I wanted to communicate when I came back home. Who's the person I wanted to become? And it had given me, it gave me the opportunity really to be a kid again. I mean, we were kind of forced to be adults really, really young, so that curiosity and that exploration was kind of gone. And I was like, whoa, like, I like doing some of this stuff. I may not be the best painter, but I like doing it, you know? And just being encouraged to have the courage to be curious was something that had a major impact on my life and also that they were offering an educational program. Now I'm not gonna say that all the answers are in a college degree, but it was something that I really needed to do at that point in time for one, if not anything else, to prove to myself that I was not stupid and that school was something that I could in fact do. Um, I was able to get, in, get involved with the college program. Um, long story short, was able to leave with two bachelor's degrees and a professional certificate in social innovation and social entrepreneurship. So I proved to myself, yeah, I'm not dumb. I just kind of need different study habits, and I need to be in a, a different way when I'm learning, you know? And that was a major um, just development in, in me finding who I was and uh, also having some sort of reach to the outside world. Now bringing this all back to poetry and why I started with the poem and why I'm gonna give you some more poems, um, poetry was one of those things that Stefan and, and I found to be this incredible tool for not only self-healing, but self-exploration. And when you're incarcerated, there's not many places for you to go. If you're having a bad day, it's kinda up to you to deal with it. And if you're having a really bad day and you act out, then you're getting isolated. So there's there's not much for you to do other than to talk to your close friends who can help bring you down, bring you back to a, a good state of mind, or using the powerful method of writing. And we found that we could escape through our journal pages, and that even if we were incarcerated physically, our minds and our thoughts could never be held down. And we found that through poetry. And we started thinking about what kinds of things would be beneficial for, for guys who are going through the system and who are going through a similar experience when they're feeling just as trapped as we know as we did during those younger years. And we started using poetry as a tool of healing, which led us to create a program called Verbal Escape. Betty is actually, uh, was a, did some big involvement in that when Stefan and I were in the last years of our seven and a half year sentences, we were at a transition facility in Florence, Oregon. So that's an amazing place. I'm actually going up there this week too, so. <laughs> Share that joy. <laughs> and, uh, and we started using this as a way to reach out to young people who were in hard, a hard point in their lives. Um, uh, after getting out, both of us being released in 2016, we found that transition kind of takes a little bit of time. Like getting used to this world is, is something that has taken me at least, I mean, three years. The whole time I've been out, I finally feel like I have the ground beneath me a little bit, you know? And it's because you, we went in the facility as kids, we didn't have prior experience to managing life as an adult, um, nor dealing with some of the stigmas that happen to come when you have a felony conviction on your record, you know? We've been really 
really, uh, I feel like blessed in, in being able to work past some of those, those barriers and stuff. But the case is, it's not really like that for a lot of the people who are leaving these facilities. And that's something that I know that I'm challenging in my work. Um, on that note, I definitely want to make sure that we have time for Q&A. Uh, I got out in 2016. Oh, actually, go back. I got out in 2016 um, with the hopes of taking on the world <clears throat> and doing everything that I was doing on the inside, but twice as fast because there was nobody inside that could tell me no. So <laughs> I got out and realized that I needed to take some time for myself. I needed to take some time to heal. I needed to take some time to get the world and the ground beneath me. Um, but in those first years, I was able to, uh, with the documentary release, I had a documentary that was released um, when I was released, pretty much. And that led me down this crazy path of doing a nationwide speaking tour across the United States, speaking in um, youth prisons, speaking in adult facilities, speaking in, like, with nonprofits, youth-serving organizations, and pretty much anybody who'd be willing to have us and <laughs> host us to come and do a talk. We just wanted to really push three principles of inspiring hope, inspiring action, and challenging the stigma that surrounds formerly incarcerated people. We believe that, you know, the, the capacity for human change is in every single one of us, and that we can pick up the pencil, we can pick up the clay wherever we left it, and we can make a completely new journey from there forward. So with that, I would like to, to end with a piece, and it's called Speak Life. And having the opportunity to be in front of so many young people and so many people who are in, in positions of influence that are working with our young people on a daily basis, I can't stress the importance enough of our words and how our words affect people. I was listening to a Radio Lab episode, and they were, this is really what inspired this, this poem, and they were talking about sound. And they were talking about, literally, my sound is touch. When I say a word to you, it rattles the little bones in your ear, it fires a neuron and transmits a message to your brain. So quite literally, my sound is touch. And it just blew my mind in my car. Like I had to pull over and write down some notes. I was like, oh yeah, that's going to be something. So this poem is called Speak Life. As I got ready one morning looking for my car keys, my headphones inhabited the songs of Damian Marley. He spoke to me clearer than if he had personally called me. He said, speak life and my mind froze if it is paused in time. Like the purpose of my work had been summarized in one line, speak life. And I thought about all the differences in political views and how we're subconsciously fed who should hate who and the, social, and the systems and social constructs that influence mainstream views making my mind write up a task list of all the things that I should do. At the end of that list, I was able to conclude that I'm not in control of what other people say or do, but yo, I can choose. I can choose to do things different, to lift language, to lift labels with language that's targeted and specific, like, hey, you, yeah, there, you're really not a dumb kid. This isn't your subject. Your life isn't over. Your life is a project. Same day I listened to a podcast. Sound as touch was a topic on Radiolab. You see, our words and our voice do more than make noise. They touch the recipient through vibration. So ask yourself, what kind of message are you relaying? Is it fear, is it love, what are the words that you're saying because they matter? They can build a person up or shame them for their difference. Speaking is an act that must be disciplined. The words that we, cho the words that we choose are the tools in which our children are conditioned with, so speak life in every circumstance. Thank you all. I'm gonna pass this over to Stefan, and I really look forward to talking with you guys.
so it never fails. Um, we go and do these talks, and somehow he always convinces me to go first, and then I'm like, I have to follow that? Like, why? <laughs> there is no following this man in any speed. So, um, sorry, it doesn't get better. <laughs> uh, thank you all for having me. Stefan, thank you for um, speaking for the both of us, my friend. Uh, I'm going to start with a poem called Release Date. And we'll just start there. And I, I don't have the brain to like memorize the hundreds of poems that I write like this person, so I'll be reading from my phone like a older millennial. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, have you ever been to the zoo? Or better yet, seen one of those documentaries on Animal Planet when the zoo animal gets released back into the wild? The handlers surround the cage with precaution. Weapons held just in case the beast happens to turn upon them. Palms sweaty with the scent of excitement flowing through the air. On the other hand, the animal is beyond scared. The cage has been rattled beyond the irritational limits and now set out where the animal sees two things. The people surrounding it making it feel uncomfortable and the freedom gap one cage opening away. The animal focuses. Sentences are on all-time high, and suddenly the cage snaps and flies open. The handlers embrace for what's about to come. The animal waits three seconds. One, all muscles tense up. Two, lungs fill with air. Three, the bolt to freedom that is, lasts forever, 10, 20, 30 feet away, and then when you think it is gone, it stops. The animal looks back staring at where it came from and seeing that cage that looks so small from the distance. The animal spots the handlers that captured it in the first place amongst the group, and the animal immediately feels rage. It charges back full speed, roaring as loud and as hard as it can as the bullet penetrates its brain. Moral of the story, you are never free until you liberate yourself. Yeah, that turned on y'all, huh? So my journey has been a journey of liberation. And liberation has a lot of different meanings for a lot of different people. Um, and as I was sitting there watching Noah talk to the little babies, um, I had this thought going through my head about sponges. Weird, huh? Sponges. Um, and I was like, at one point, we were all those little babies soaking up the environments around us. Um, we were all these little vessels um, just full of light, energy, and joy, taking in all the things that is around us. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, like, the elements of a sponge. Like, what does a sponge does? It, it, it soaks up, you know, it, I mean, it's squishy. You know, it's, um, what's the word? You can move it. It's malleable. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not, so I was not good in school. I did not get, I don't know all the words. Um, it's malleable. But what it does is it extracts also. If you squeeze a sponge, it's going to release the things that it has soaked up. And so 
throughout life, we are soaking things up. And then there is certain pressures that hit us at times. And it made me think about how many times pressures has hit me and I extracted what the things that I was soaking up in my life um, to liberation. When I was a child, I had a lot of labels placed on my little body. Um, and being a black man in America, there is a lot of labels that I get given to that I didn't necessarily ask for. But yet, I have to navigate the world based on the labels. Soak them up. And when you soak up labels that are harmful, you start to internalize a lot of these things. Um, and not knowing where I was going to go, how I was going to end up, but knowing that the world that I lived in did not actually want me there, I soaked up a lot of toxicity. Um, so now I'm walking the world as a young child with this toxic mentality based off the environmental factors. And every so often, I would feel the pressure and I would have to extract. I would have to extract what was being fed to me. And this was, again, Noah said, everyone's story doesn't start at the place of incarceration. But the environmental factors that got me there are not an excuse. They are just circumstance. They are the reasons why we get to where we are. Um, and once I got incarcerated, I had to look in the mirror and look how dirty my sponge was, right? I was like, wow, I have taken a lot of negative things, and so I have given a lot of negative things back to the world. And similar to my brother here, it was like, is this the continuation that I want to keep? And if it is, there is a path, there's a trajectory um, that shows statistically where I would end up. And then there's another path that actually this path is unknown, uncharted territories. That path is success. That path is liberation. That path is um, the things that that was never told to me, that was never given to me when I was soaking things up. And in the spirit of wanting to do something different with my life because everything up to that point wasn't great, I decided to shift my mind frame. And it was not easy. It didn't happen overnight. Has anyone, like, successfully changed a habit? Anyone? Was it easy? Anybody do one that was easy? Give me an example. I didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just checking. So someone, if you got techniques, give me. I'm still trying to learn. Um, and so in this process, I was trying to extract all the negative things that I thought about myself up to that point and then soak in new positive concepts. And so going to some of those groups and doing some so these speaking engagements, I, I, I feel like I'm not as, not as up to par as the speaking as you, bro, but I'm getting there. You know what I'm saying? My first speech was actually really good. His was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it went downhill from there. Um, and so I was taking in all these things, trying to re redevelop myself to one day once I got back to the world in this uncharted territory, this uncharted path, I would be able to extract new positivity um, to the environments that are around me. Um, one thing that folks don't really talk about 
is 95% of the people that are incarcerated in this country, 95% get released. That is 95%. So only 5% never come back home, which means if we have 95% of the people that are making mistakes, like shouldn't we be doing the things that is needed to have them change to come back to the society and a community that is accepting and they feel validated and to be able to be citizens, right? The unfortunate part is it is complete opposite. It is designed for you to go right back into the environment and fail to then feed that system of mass incarceration. Um, because it's profitable, right? It's profitable to have cattle going down the line. It is profitable to have people in cages. And so knowing this, I was released back into my environment. Um, and nothing changed. As in, like, I would go see my friends. And like, seven and a half years changed. What happened? No one went to college. Um, I go see my family, like, hey, how's everyone doing? People still living in the same apartment. I mean, my sister still had the same stain on the carpet from like seven and a half years ago. I was like, okay, things are exactly the same, but yet I am not. I have a whole new different like energy I'm trying to extract. And so my goal and purpose, like for the for the remaining of my life, I feel, is is being able to explain this concept of what we're bringing into ourselves, how we can shift, change um, our energy, and then extracting the positivity or the light or the things that um, have systemically oppressed us and held us down out of our bodies and so we can be the change makers that are needed. Um, I am 28 years old. I, like I said, I'm older millennial, um, still a millennial, you know, uh, <laughs> and I've been out three years, and in three years, I have reached levels of success that I don't think I would ever have if I've never went through this journey. However, um, I will have to say that this journey was created out of choice, um, a choice in my in my journey to decide like that's the life that I do not want to have, and then having other folks to tell me that I can do it was the necessities that was needed for me to actually get there. There is hundreds of thousands of folks that do not make that choice, or they try to make that choice, and then the system puts them right back where they are, back into the soaking up of negative experience. Um, and so that makes me want to tell people, whoever you are, whoever you meet, um, think about the energy that you're sharing. Think about what you're pushing out. Think about all the things that you have experienced in your life. Um, and you never know when one of those little babies is going to be sitting there soaking up whatever you're bringing. And so just be aware of that and try to be the light and be that energy, um, because we need a lot more of it in this world. With that said, I'm going to shut up. So thank you all.